0: everybody. Welcome back to the RDN Good Roller Pod episode 5. Before we get into this episode, I want to talk to you about NCRHA National Collegiate Roller Hockey Association. Next week, March 9th on Monday in the evening, me and Kevin DeWire will be hosting Selection Show Monday through a live stream on the brand new NCRHA TV app. By the way, this app is an absolute game changer. We will be discussing the teams that have bids for nationals and all the teams going in each division. D1, D3, D4. Sorry for missing your division but i believe that's it remember monday march 9th we'll be doing the live stream through NCRHA TV app we will give you all the info on how to download that through our social media account they have all the games from last year already up so if you guys played nationals last year go ahead on there look on it if you have a fire stick or a roku tv you can download it on there and even watch it on your tv or if you have your iphone or android watch it on there so without further ado we'll send it on to the pod
1: jordan what do you got there Are you drink it out of a vase or what
2: it's just the water. It's like oh, it's a, a mason
1: like, jar-looking thing. It's yeah. like a flower vase, dude. I was like, what the hell? Pretty nice. Jordan's drinking plants over here. Jordan's drinking yeah, plant water. <laughs> All
2: right, boys, let's get this rolling.
1: Here. How's it going, everybody?
0: Welcome back to the RDN Good Roller Podcast, Episode 5. I got my two main guys here with me. I got Kevin Dwyer and Jordan Hamilton. How you doing,
1: boys? Doing real good, fellas, doing real good. Uh, got some good stuff on deck for us today. And uh, I got my two main attendees that I get to speak with every now and again to chat a little uh, little roller news for everyone. So I'm doing good. How are you, Jordan?
2: Yeah, I'm pretty good. You know, I missed last podcast, so you guys took it over and did a real good job. You know, did well. So I'm happy to be back with the boys. So, uh, Rob, you went this past weekend, you were at Winter Wars West, how was it? Tell us about your trip in uh, nice Cali.
0: Where do I start, bud? Um, I mean, from the time I got there to the time I left, it was just an absolute blast, you know. Starting Thursday, first I just got to say special thanks to the State Wars, uh, Timmy and Greg for taking care of me out there, getting me out there and everything. That was a absolute blast. You know, those guys are just world-class. They're awesome. Uh, can't say enough about them, but it was a good time. They made me feel like, basically part of the team, uh, getting all the content and stuff, but it was a great time. You know, I got to meet a lot of cool people that I already like knew of, but I didn't know personally. Um, I got to see some of my old, you know, boys that I haven't seen in a while, got to hang out with. Anytime you get to see pro action, it's always fun. One game I, I do gotta say this though. I think one of the best games though of the day, this game was absolute just physical. The women's pro game between Rinkrat and Palma, these girls did absolute way going harder than the men's in the championship. Throwing bodies, I mean cross checks in the face. It was uh it was honestly pretty cool to watch. And especially being on the in the penalty box recording it and stuff is absolutely sick. So I think it was a uh, overall. I had a great time
1: that's a that's a rivalry that's kind of been like in the making the last handful of years like every national tournament that i, I can recall um in that division like that's who it comes down to oh, usually actually. i yeah. mean like and come summertime you know like uh gen c gonna be playing for the road runners probably and just like when when every when all of their players are available, like that's a very uh, very entertaining game to watch. It's a very fun game, and and like you said too, like you saw some animosity, a little physicality. Like dude, those those women play against each other a lot, and that's a little bit of a like kind of unsung rivalry that it, we have in the sport. Honestly,
0: absolutely agree. I mean, I mean, like I said, like they're throwing cross checks in the face to each other. There, no one's doing that in the men's pro final. Um. But, no, like you said, every single pro, a women's pro final that I can recall, it's Palma versus Rinkrat every single time. And it's – I mean, they have great talent on both teams, and I just – I love that rivalry.
2: Rob, well, I just wanted to talk about how – who was – like who stood out to you when you are out there? Like who was who cool to watch, favorite team to watch maybe? Okay, well, first,
0: I mean, this is going to be, without being said, obviously Palma. You know, that's – I mean, getting to watch – I don't care what anyone says, yeah, they're so stacked, this, that, but getting to see all those players playing on the same team and playing that good together, dude, it's insane. They have three offensive lines that are just like three offensive lines. This is like their first first two lines, Junior and Billy. Okay. Second, John John and Eton. <laughs> Like, those guys probably had, like, 14 goals the whole tournament. It was insane. Those That second line. The third line was Garsh, and uh, who else was it? Kraft. There? No, Crafty wasn't out there. I forgot who it was. Was it Gonzalez? Yeah, uh, yeah,
1: yeah, Tyler Gonzalez.
0: Tyler Gonzalez, yeah. Good dude. And every, you know, like, that team playing together, they exceeded my expectations, to be honest with you. I mean, they mercyed two games in the round robin, and it's – they didn't have a weak spot, you know, and – I don't know. Just well, getting to watch them play, it was just like holy fuck! Like just how good they played together. You know, their power play, absolutely insane. And that was a given that was going to happen. But getting to see that live right there, you're like, holy shit! Like they're missing Travis. No, yeah,
1: exactly. It's it's interesting because, like, like you said, you see them play at Winter Nationals, and they've kind of got like a different mix with you know, like well, they Steve also Martino have- and Fox. Yeah. They they get some Black Ice guys. Because obviously some of their guys are unavailable during those winter tournaments. That being said, like, this last week I was actually watching some uh, some Pama Pro, like, games from last year in Indiana. And, you know, come summertime, those guys are relying heavily upon Travis and Junior to kind of get the job done. And that's not like any... Any you know disrespect to any of the other forwards they have on their team, but like that, those were the two who were putting points in the net in Indiana. So like you just kind of wonder if they they make this mix at winners and they consistently win these winter national tournaments, and then come summertime, you know they still don't have a lot to show for the last handful of summers that they've competed in. It's just it's just kind of you know interesting when you think of it like that. That being said big addition with, you know, Ethan Chavara and John, John, like for that to be your, like your second line in pro in line hockey, that's, that's kind of unfair. Like yeah. it's unprecedented, you know, so it'll be really interesting to see how that translates this summer.
2: Yeah. Okay. I'm excited to see what the, what they, how they're going to keep up this tear that they've started in 2020 already. And, uh, so when summer's coming up, as Rob posted the uh, March and April turn. Hold
0: on, hold on. I don't want to get into that. I still no, want to talk yet. about this. I still okay. want to talk about the players. They're missing Garrett Har as well too. Garrett Har is a huge defensive man, and he steps yeah. up huge in big moments too. That dude has a freaking shot. So you know they also had Mark Serve. Uh, sorry, Bud. Gonna burch your fucking. Sarvag. Sarvos, Matt, um Mark oh, Sarvos, Sarvos. Okay. The goalie yeah. from Pure yeah. Maple. Yeah, yeah. That dude. Is an absolute stud. I mean, he stood on his head. I mean, he didn't allow more. You know, a lot more than one or two goals a game. You know, granted, there's not the. You know, there was some good co- pro competition there, but he absolutely stood on his head. And if they have that type of goalie in there too, as well, playing with them going into summer, that might help. You know, um, but yeah, I think it's going. DNT literally stands on his head. Oh, he is. You're absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> he is. He's dynamite. And what am I? But
1: you bring that up. And I and I was I was watching those games this past summer, and I don't know if you boys remember, um, TNT was like super fatigued well, remember in the, how hot uh, it is in that rink. That rink, was yeah. Bad. That I mean. That being said, that's your starting goalie, though. You know, like you, that's what you, I mean. You understand that come Sunday, like you, you want to be playing three games, Absolutely. so like. And I was watching those. I forgot that. Like, dude, he was he was gassed They had to use a timeout for him to. It was like, an
2: overtime too. It was, an and, it,
1: and it went to overtime.
2: Correct. Yeah. So,
1: like was you said, Rob, if you get that extra tendy, and and you you got TNT, and you got um, servos, servos. Man, that's again a nice one-two punch. Pretty good one-two punch, man. You you play servos in a couple round robin games to keep them fresh, and you let you know, TNT do what he's been doing since he was, like, 11, 12 years old in the playoffs and championship. Absolutely. Yeah, it's sure. always fun It's always fun watching Skittles and Nitrous, too. Those two teams so, are pretty, like – those are good teams to watch when you're out there. Too. how was it?
2: Yeah, which game? The junior championship.
0: Junior championship. Uh, that, was that the game? one that went
2: to overtime, or was it that, was that 18? So,
0: so um, two games went to overtime, 18 okay. and under – Skittles versus Conex Elite, um, NorCal Brown jerseys. That went to overtime. That was unreal. They actually ended up winning uh, the NorCal Connex Elite. I'm their name in overtime. And then the junior game. Um, shout out to I believe Marv and Bailey Simpson getting the Geno for the Conex Nitrous. That was an unreal game. That went to overtime too. But um, well, well, thank you for
1: the- getting. Thank you for getting out there and, and getting yeah. some content, dude. You uh, that was. That was unreal. You did a uh, much better job at getting like some stories and some content than I did while I was
2: out there. It was cool to
1: see the Lebeta bearing press. Dude, that was sick.
0: I'm not going to say how much it is, but it is sick.
1: six, <laughs> 70 bucks,
0: but it is six.
1: Check them out when you're at the next tourney. Yeah, no, but, but uh, honestly, that
0: thing is really cool. A beta press, like on, like he said, an eight-year-old can do it. It is so easy. You pop in your whole wheel, takes the bearing out, everything, pops it back in. He changed a kid's skates, less than three minutes, all wheels, bearings, everything. And you're like, dude, I'm like fucking pounding them in there with my fucking hand. Unreal. But, well, you know, an
1: eight year old Jordan, you can probably attest to it too, can also use like a, a, a bad tour Allen wrench and break your bearing popper off and, you know, fi- yeah. figure it out from there. Get your bearings out. Because that's how it, yeah. that's how it like
2: was like when we're, we was were so kids, easy. obviously. Actually, I want to talk about Rob as. Who did you talk to when you're out there? Who do we got going on this interview today on this podcast? What's up with that?
0: We got Joe Cook on here for today. That was an absolute unreal podcast, getting to hang out and talk to him. fun. You know, thank you for taking an hour out of your day during the tournament, too, to, uh, you know, just talk some roller and talk about – I'll let you guys hear it, but we talk about the new Alkali line and uh, kind of some old roller hockey and just, you know, some good roller. And mostly about the new skate that's coming out. It's pretty sick. They made some modifications to the uh, the goalie skate, you know, people were kind of talking about online. So you guys should really listen to this interview. It's very – I learned a lot, and especially now seeing this new goalie skate, I think a lot of people are going to like it. So it was pretty cool. I also talked to uh, – he's not on this interview, but we also got Nick Boyarski. So uh,
1: – Soviet comrade. Yeah. <laughs> <the comrade.
3: laughs>
0: yeah, so he'll be on the uh, podcast probably – The one after this, the Hill interview will be on that one. All right, boys, what do you say we sent it on to the interview with Joe Cook? Hope you guys enjoy. Welcome back to the Artie and Good Roller Pod. It is Saturday here in Huntington Beach, California, and I got the pleasure to sit down with a roller legend. Took his time out of his day. Took a couple tries, maybe three pokes at him to try to get him to come here and sit down and talk to me. But, you know, I just want to say thank you for sitting down with me and getting introduced to him, Joe Cook. How you doing, man? I'm all right, brother. How are you? I'm doing good, man. Doing good. How's Winter Wars going so far with uh, the new Alkali?
4: Yeah, so far it's good. You know, I think the uh, you know we've got the new line coming out, so it's important for us to be here and so on and so forth. But uh, the level of play is good. The energy always is excellent in this building. And a lot of teams and, you know, I mean, a lot of some good pro action and it's fun.
0: Nice, nice, nice. So, you know, Joe Cook, you're a huge name and roller. You always have been. Used to play in the RHI and playing in the... Play for the Anaheim Bullfrogs. For a lot of people that don't know about the RHI, how how was that level? of, You know, how was that hockey back then when you were playing um, in our age compared to when we come to now or this is our pro?
4: Well, I that. think that I think that it's just. I mean, it's no different than ice hockey. I think the game has changed over the course of time, and there are different generational players. Um, the game was played. I would say uh, with less chippiness and more um, more physicality back then. Um, you know, in that day there was full check. I mean, everybody wore shoulder pads and yeah. you know full 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 girdles, not necessarily ice pants, but that level of protection because I mean it was we were hitting. Mm-hmm. It was full body checking. It was fighting. There was you know so it was it was much it was, it was much like playing in the minors in an ice hockey East Coast League, the AHL, um, and we were just transitioning to the roller. So it was and in the beginning in '93 and '94 and even part of 95. um, The majority of it was just ice hockey players that were looking to make you know three, four hundred bucks a week and play summer hockey. Um, And so the game now um, I believe is a lot more skilled. If I'm being honest with you, like I think that the, you know, I watch these 18, 16 year olds, the way they handle the puck, the way they skate, the way they stop, like that wasn't, the, that wasn't pro hockey in the RHI back then. I mean, back then you went up and down your wing, you dumped the puck and you hit people. It wasn't all about puck possession. So the game has dramatically changed. And I think the skill in today's game you know, and I watch certain guys. I mean, I watch Junior and Travis and Matty White, and like you know, John Chavo and KJ Tiffenworth, and some of these guys, Kraft, um, Novak, you know, guys, AK Spezia, like these kind of guys. And and I actually, and, and my generation of players, the Shane Arsenal's of the world, um, we talk about it. And we're like, there's, we couldn't have played like with this. Like these guys are so good now, it's ridiculous. Um, and it's no different than you know if you look at ice hockey and anybody who follows the NHL. Um, you know, I've had the pleasure of seeing Gretzky play, um, and then watching you know guys like Ovechkin and Crosby and Connor McDavid, um, even Mario. Like so, that generation of players. So I kind of liken it to that to a certain degree. Not that any of us are Mario or, or, or Wayne Gretzky or Brett Hull, but now I look at kind of you know everybody looks at Connor McDavid and Ovechkin and that kind of generation of players. They're way more skilled than Gretzky, Lemieux, Hull. They just are. It's yeah. just a different game. Um, you know, where, you know, guys aren't getting seven points a game, they're getting two or three in today's age. Um, when back then scores were nine six, you know, now they're two to one or three to two. Um, so, but the, the level of play of hockey players, and it has to do with training and all kinds of other things, but the level of play of hockey in general today from a skill set is way higher, in my belief. Than it was when I played back in the mid 90s. So it's, um, you know, the game is the game is a lot more stick today, which is unfortunate because, um, you know, I, I don't believe it really polices itself very well. Um, whereas in our day, if you did something, you had consequences to it. Today, in, in today's game, you see some younger players that are using the stick a lot more, and it's just almost accepted, it, and, and even running their mouth a ton which is you know, always unfortunate um, because when we played back in the day, and the generation before me was even tougher and harder uh, back in the 60s and 70s and 80s, it was even a harder generation of players. Um, so I think the generation has changed from a skill perspective, but what I don't like about today's game is the amount of trash-talking that goes on and the lack of the ability for somebody who's being trash-talked to physically do something about it, um, so I think that that's the only part of the game today that I don't like. The skill level, coaching it, watching it, it's amazing. The the players are way better than we were. Um, it, it was just a different game.
3: Yeah.
0: Did you? Uh, so did you grow up playing roller hockey, or did you play ice hockey?
4: No. So I grew up in Detroit. Um, I played ice hockey through college. I played a, a year in the East Coast League, so had a cup of coffee in the AHL. Um, And then I was playing for a guy named uh, Chris McSorley. Um, His brother is Marty McSorley from the McSorley family. I was playing for him in Toledo and East Coast League in 1993 after I left school. And he asked me if I wanted to go to California to play in this roller hockey thing i had been on rollerblades at that point probably once or twice in my life. Um,
0: what age was this? Sorry, right after I was
4: twenty or oh, we 22. twenty-two. Twenty-two when you started 22. getting on blades? Yeah, I've never been. Wow. I, I, you know, been on them. It was new. Yeah, even rollerblades at that time, the brakes on them were kind of new. Um, so I came out. Uh, he asked me if I wanted to come play in California, and absolutely. I mean, I'm 22 years old, and back then we didn't do what guys do today and sit in the gym all summer or be on the ice all summer. Like we legitimately hung our skates up and just took the summer off. So the opportunity to make some money and put me in California and play roller hockey was pretty interesting. So I remember I showed up, like I picked up at the airport by our EQ, and we went to the skating this rink and and. Uh, uh, garden grove called Knots. it was a knot like Chapman and Knot, this outdoor concrete, with chain link fence, roller hockey rink was <laughs> probably half the size of a normal rink. And I'd never really been in a practice or played, and they kind of threw me some skates, and I threw my shin guards on and my elbow pads, and I was, I was a player that really tried pretty hard in practice. Um, you know, I was small at the time, um, I wasn't as skilled as anybody else, so I kind of felt like my thing was I'm going to work harder than everybody, at least that was what was going on in my brain. So we line up to just one the goaltenders up, kind of half on each side and the opposite corners and down the wall and take a long shot, peel off into the corner. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to try I don't know anybody in the team. I'm going to try to impress this group of people that are standing here or skating with us. And I go 100 miles an hour down the wall, take a shot, and I go to peel into the corner, and I realize I don't know how to stop. And, and, and I'm going full, absolutely full speed. I go face first into the boards, knees, toe boxes, straight into the wall. And it's chain link fence, and literally my face planted. And I'm like, all right, I kind of fall down, and everybody's laughing because they'd all been skating for a couple of weeks. Yeah. So I end up kind of peeling myself off the floor, going to the corner. And I remember a guy named Savo Mitrovic goes, Yeah, you probably shouldn't go that fast. So, you know, that was a time when, you know, the guys weren't going back and forth. Yeah. So I played that year, and then I went back to the East Coast League and and played another year, and then I kind of ended up stopping ice hockey. Uh, I kind of had enough... Um, I was in the minors on a bus for 17 days at a time, and it wasn't really the life for me. So I ended up marrying a girl from Southern California, and I've been out here since 1994 full time.
0: Ever since? Yeah, yeah. kind of roller brought you all the way out here for that, in a,
4: in a way? Yeah, and I mean, realistically, you know, I mean, it's it's, it's been since that day that I stepped on that rink, My pretty much my entire life every day um, has been all about roller hockey. I ended up running rinks, um, had a lot of partners like Shane, and Shane Arsenal, Kenny Murchison, ran rinks. Uh, Doug Jones brought me in to run a rink uh, year two. Um, it would be at the Gretzky Center. So I was running rinks, and that it just kind of became my life. I was playing for the Bullfrogs in the summer, running the Bullfrogs owner's rink in the, in the wintertime. So that's kind of how I ended up being out here and kind of getting into it day to day
0: nice so when you were a kid growing up did you ever even like think you know like about roller hockey or was it even like a big thing wasn't 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 a a sport wasn't even a sport then
4: okay so i think you know i think obviously the rhi came came in 93 was the first year and i think prior to that there, were, there was maybe a couple of narches there was kind of this following of guys that had kind of come from a like most players don't know like almost a ball and cane kind of a, a curved stick on quads and this inline thing was starting to skate, inline skates were starting to happen, rinks were starting to open up, now Paul Chapey um, Jeff Mason had started NARCH, the North American Roller Hockey Championship, so there were some guys that were playing in that, um, and I didn't know anything about it. I mean, you know, I, I didn't know there were leagues or rinks or anything else like that until I came out to Southern California, and all of a sudden there's roller hockey rinks that are playing roller hockey, and, you know, as a kid growing up in Michigan, like, we didn't, we didn't even know. I mean, it was something that, the only time I ever used them was when I was at a park in the summer, and my buddy comes up with these old roller, these skates that he had converted as ice skates to a roller skate. And, you know, I mean, back then, there weren't, like, they, I mean, they were terrible wheels, terrible chassis. Like, it was just brutal. Um, my first pair of roller hockey skates had plastic chassis. That was an original Bauer or something, Mega or something. Um, you know, so, I, you know, sports come a, a, an incredibly long way. Um, but back then, when I was growing up, roller wasn't even a thought process. And then it boomed, obviously, having, you know, having Wayne Gretzky be traded, L.A., the mecca started to be, you know, hockey in general started to happen in Southern California. And because there were so few ice hockey rinks um, in 94, 95, 96 through 99, 2000, there were roller hockey rinks popping up everywhere in Southern California because it was easier to build. uh, It was less expensive to play. Um, And then in 95, mission started. Okay. Um, And in 97, uh, after I played in some, you know, in the RHI, I had a guy from Mission come to me. Well, it had kind of happened in '95 when I was running the rink. They came to me and asked me if I wanted to wear their product because I was coaching a lot of kids and running the rink. Um, and it turns out that I ended up being kind of the first athlete that, like, that was a quote-unquote pro guy.
0: So you were the first Mission sponsored yes. athlete, yes, Joe
4: Cook. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know really that. Interesting. Yeah. So, and it happened. It was a they, the, their rep was in our store in our rink. And the guy that ran the rink brought this rep over who I didn't know anything about Mission. And he kind of was like, and the guy's like, hey, would you be willing to wear our product and, you know, kind of play in our team? And I'm like, well, you have a team? They didn't know anything about it. Um, and so I ended up wearing an old school pair of Missions. And, you know, I still have the Mission bruises on my feet that guys back then that know, like, you yeah, have, I literally still have scars on my feet. Yeah. From the original Mission skates. But, yeah. Then in 97, I was running rinks, and a guy that worked at Mission, who was the category director for roller hockey, um, had some issues and uh, had to stay in Canada, and I had been running their team for a little while, their pro team, um, and they asked me to start working there. I knew nothing about anything. I knew nothing about building skates. I knew nothing about marketing. I knew nothing about finance, Um, and I just ended up kind of falling into this job because I knew the owners, um, I knew, you know, their VP and their CEO. I ended up getting kind of plugged into this role, and that's when I started making states. It was kind of 1998, 99, that, that range, and I was there for 13 years. Nice. So when was your first...
0: Um so from transitioning, like you said, from the RHI and stuff, did you play
4: in the NARCH um, with the pro teams? My yeah. first NARCH, believe it or not, was in this building. No way. It was the first tournament in this building in 1997. It was Winter Nationals. Um, I was playing for the team mission, okay. uh, and uh, I was playing in the RHI, and they came to me and said, hey, we're doing this pro team. Do you want to play? And Shane Arsenal was there with me, and Ken Merchant was kind of our group of guys that were playing in the RHI and my first was in the first they just finished this rink It was the first opening weekend of this rink um and it was on the back rink in the left um, okay yeah
0: was there only one rink here there at were the
4: time two. there two? were two but the third one was not here so it's just okay. the two small rinks in the back okay. same yeah. size yep exact okay. same building that's there now just a lot newer yeah um and that was that was my first narch and then we played in you know 97 narch in vancouver and the finals and Kind of. That's when I started playing more tournament-based uh, hockey, roller hockey. Where
0: was? Uh, I mean, you've been pretty much everywhere. You were you the coach of Team USA. Um, several years you've been international. Where is the coolest rinks that you have got to play at or got to coach uh, coach at?
4: Well, I think that I think that playing the year that NARCH was in Minnesota. Excel Center? Yeah, in the Excel Center. That was a pretty cool experience. Um, but, you know, honestly, the, the kind of the coolest place, and I, it's really funny because I had a conversation with somebody this morning. I was talking to TK about you know, the, the size of the ranks in the back and the sport and it needing to be faster at the higher levels and the larger ranks. Are, you know, and I always thought in my mind, um, I was coaching Double HF and playing in Double HF and watching a guy like Travis Snow and Matt White. Fly down a two hundred by one hundred rink was just you know you're watching you are like wow like looking how much room they have and how fast they are and, and you know but it's very individualized when you're on a when you're on a rink that size not the guys aren't moving the puck but there's so much space um, that the game actually even though they're moving at a quick pace it kind of looks a little slow. Um, so uh, Jay Russell who worked for me at Alky and I went to the uh, Fears World Championships in Toulouse and I, I think it was probably two thousand. 13 or 14 and I remember walking into the building with PJ Kavaya, and who had been playing in Europe a lot and he's like oh the rinks are a lot smaller like you know but the game is a lot it's it visually watching and it, it's a lot faster and then I, and conceptually I just I was like I don't understand I don't like what do you mean yeah
0: so you don't have enough
4: yeah there's no space like yeah. how's it faster yeah and, and he's like just watch like because he'd been playing in Europe for a long time and I so you in. hadn't seen like a small rink since then? Listen, I'd seen little kids playing on small yeah, rinks, yeah, but I'd yeah, never yeah. seen kind of the world championship high-end there. players yeah. playing, you know, okay. that, that skill set guys that, Makes that sense. were playing. So... We walked into the rink and it was this really kind of, it looked almost like a gym to a certain degree, but it was big enough. I mean, it was, you know, it sat probably 3,000 people, but you were kind of seated, that there was a bowl upstairs and you kind of looked down on this rink and nobody was on floor level. So the rink was kind of sunk probably 20 feet and everybody was sitting up above it. And I remember walking in and saying to, to PJ, I'm like, wow, like this is like, that's small. He's like, just watch, man. It's like such a better game. I'm like, what do you mean that? Like, how is that possible? Like you're a skill guy. Like how do you like playing on a small? He's like you just it, you're, you're on guys faster. They need to move the puck faster. Like all these different things. The first game I watched, and I remember sit, sitting there with Jay Russell going, "This is this is so much better, so much better," because guys are on top of each other quicker. Um, you can actually have a little bit of a strategy of like getting guys up the floor and pressuring. Um, you know, you don't have a guy 200 feet behind you. Like, it, it, and the game was way way better on this kind of smaller. And I, we're not talking you know, one hundred by fifty, we're talking one sixty by maybe seventy. So okay. it's not that much smaller. It's not, you know, half a rink or anything. But you ask me the best, like that's probably the best. in the US, you know, that year with Kenny Merchant and Chuck Toss behind the bench, um, they won they won the world championships that year. They had a phenomenal team. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but that was, and I was, you know, when I, I, I was sitting there with, in my outside booth um, and I was as happy for that team and like that group than I had been for the teams that I coached on the double HF side yeah. winning. Like it was just, a, it was the right group. It was the right coaching staff. They were good guys. Um, the team came together. They didn't have a great start and ended up winning in the end. It was just, and the gameplay was, but that's probably out of everything I've done. Yeah, probably the most memorable time and I wasn't even coached like I wasn't a part of the team but it was just super cool and today being the 40th anniversary of uh, the Miracle on Ice like, oh yeah like, yeah like, so you know like that it was kind of one of those things like I was old enough to I was I watched that game okay and I, that's, that's pretty awesome that's, that's cool but <laughs> that game I remember and, and the two guys that were coaching are dear friends of mine and they're great guys um, and I was just super excited for that group and that team um, and it like I, I heard an interview this morning on I don't know right, Mike Roseioni. Oh, yeah. Talking about how kind of people felt during that nineteen eighty win. Like there was a lot going on in the country, yada yada yada. That yeah, the hostage crisis. There was all kinds of things going on. Gas prices were through the roof. Like just a bad time. And, and he said something to me. And what's interesting about it, he said something. He said something about people feeling like it was we. We won. And, you know, if you play sports, you're like, hey, wait a minute. Like, we, you weren't on the rank of the floor. Like, but like, so when they won, when, when that team won in Toulouse, I had sort of a similar feeling of like, hey, like I was super proud of the U.S. program and those two guys in particular in that team. And there were some great players on that team. But it was one of those where even though I wasn't involved in it, I kind of felt like, hey, we won. like Because yeah. we were struggling at that tournament in particular yeah. with the U.S. group. Like We, as a, as a country, were kind of losing our luster. And I think those guys brought that back. And that, cool. was, that was really a super proud moment. Because the WHF team was very different. It was funded you know it was run it was run two different USA. types of tournaments it was run by USA hockey it, you know the like guys were flown in like you know like and that was that group of people um, that were were paying to be there and you know and doing fundraisers and and it was just—it was just a different group, and that's probably the most proud I've been of any team that I've seen, even though I had nothing to do with it. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it was, and yeah. So I mean, you—that rink that is mean. kind of the memory of how awesome I think the sport is. Yeah. Is that little rink in Toulouse, France, that nobody knows about, uh, nobody's ever seen, probably outside of that.
0: Tournament. yeah that's pretty that's pretty awesome to hear um, when you uh, you know coaching Team USA and you have in the WIHF and you have so much talent on that team um, how do you maintain that team's focus when you you know coaching them several years leading them to a gold? what do you you know how do you keep them so focused and listen I think that the
4: the, the the strangest part about the team is I played on it in 96 and 97 I coached it no I played 96, 97, 98 I coached it in, t- in 1999, um, as I was 28 years old. You coached there, it at 28? Yeah, there were guys that, <laughs> So, back then... Were you still playing then, too? I or? played the... I, I, yeah, I played the year before in the, in And the then tournament. just kind of... Yeah, so...
0: What made did, you decide to... Well, it, back
4: then, um, the coach that I played for for three years on that team was coaching an AHL team. Oh, like, okay. I mean, these are... You know, it wasn't Joe Cook, the roller hockey bum, like, coaching the team. It was... <laughs> It was an you know, it was a guy that was coaching the AHL, he kinda of coached the Kentucky Thoroughbreds, I mean, at the time. I and mean, it was, you know, it, it was it was impressive. Roy yeah. Sommer was his name. And the assistant coach was a coach these, head coach in the East coast league. So they like I mean, these are coaches, not just a guy. So I remember um, Mark Rudolph, who was a director of USA Hockey Inline at the USA Hockey Inline at the time, um, Came to me and said, "Hey, do you have any interest in coaching next year?" I I kind of looked around and I'm like, "What? You, like me?" He's like, "Yeah, like we're looking for a roller guy that we want to kind of transition away from ice hockey coaches and kind of bring in this kind of roller hockey mentality." And I'm like, "Yeah, I mean, like I want to play though." <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I like what's interesting is I had led the tournament scoring the year before. <laughs> So, so I remember when I got there, the Finnish coach, who we had beaten the finals the year before, or it, who had beaten the semis the year before, was like, "What, what are you? What are you doing? Yeah, you, like you're like you. Why, why aren't you playing?" And I'm like, "Why?" Well, and I remember saying to my wife time, I was like, you know, listen, like, I have an opportunity to coach, like, it was super proud to be a part of Team USA in, in any capacity, um, and I was fortunate enough to play that for three years, and it was a very, very proud moment, like, anybody who tells you, you when you put the sweater on, it doesn't change yeah. things, it absolutely does, Yeah. it doesn't matter if you're playing badminton, it doesn't matter if you're playing roller hockey, it doesn't matter if you're, it, like, it doesn't make, when you put your country sweater on, it's, it's a super different moment. Um, so I said to my wife, I'm like, look, I, I want to take the coaching job. She's like, well, like you're like, you're, why would you still play? I'm like, cause I don't know if this chance is ever going to come again. Um, and I really love to coach. It's my passion. Um, and I was, I was like, forget it. Like I'm going to coach. And I coached for two years and then ended up having took taking like a job admission and not being able to do it. But then I came back to it in 2012 um, to coach again, and I coached it for I think five years, and during those five years, the talent level—you know—my first year um, we finished fifth, and you know I'm looking around going, I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to lose my like. <laughs> <my laughs> <job." laughs> I mean, we lost one game and finished fifth, so I mean that's. Oh, so, I mean, because yeah, it's such a just the way it goes. Yeah. and when we got to the quarters, we won around. Ramius got to the quarters and lost. And then you get dropped into a fifth, sixth place game. So, I mean, that's kind of how it goes. Um, and then Dan Brennan, who is one of my best friends on the planet, um, it was like, hey, look, you're my guy. Like, I, I, you're the right guy. I got you. Like, don't worry. Like, you come back and go. to one, gold the next year. Then we finish bronze. Then we finish fifth. And then we got gold again. So, I think what what's interesting about it is, and and the personnel for the most part, um, there were probably seven or eight guys that were kind of steady throughout that. But bringing in different guys, and I think the last year I did it with uh, and Tim McManus and I coached together. Our focus was trying to get some different guys the last year and get guys that putting that sweater on for the first time would 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 in, in, entice them and, and focus them. Um, so you know you can't turn away guys like Matt White, Travis Snow, and I mean you just you just don't. But I mean I. The last couple of times I did it, and I mean, I I unfortunately had the um, the job of cutting some incredibly good players. Because, but it wasn't because they weren't the right players. It was because we had finished fifth, and I had to make changes. Yeah, and the so, coach. It, you know, I couldn't go back with the same guys. I had to get some fresh people in there, some guys that it was their first or second time as opposed to their third or fourth or fifth time. Um, and the hardest thing that I've probably ever done in the sport um, was telling C.J. Yoder um, that he wasn't going to play on the team. Um, And I remember agonizing about it. For two days um, and it was and he handled it incredibly well he handled it like a pro like anybody who knows CJ Yeah, and I adore him I he think coached me whole growing up I, I, I think CJ is the best thing that ever happened to the sport I, I have nothing but respect for him um, I think he's the best player to ever touch a puck um, his longevity he's, he's he's legitimately Gordie Howe, to me when it comes to r- roller hockey he is Gordie Howe. Yeah. he played for so long he was so good he is an ambassador he handled himself well he's kind he's gentle he's professional and I had to tell him it was over um, and it was a really 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 hard and the, people don't know a lot about that a few people do but that was, that was horrifying for me because even though CJ's a bit younger than me, um, I played against him in this first tournament at March when they were the Mudcats, and I remember seeing him and being like, who in the, where is this guy? who in the hell is this guy? because yeah. you know, I was a pro ice hockey guy like you know and I remember seeing him and I just and I watched his progression from him being you know 18, 19 years old till still playing pro in tournaments today. Yeah. At forty, I don't want to tell anybody his age, but forty something. Let's just call it that. He's and so that was probably the low point of of my career in this game was actually cutting him, and it was horrible. And and he and, and he knew it. Like he kind of knew. Like I, I don't, I don't think I shocked him, but I also think I shocked him. Yeah. Um. And it was it was not it was not fun. And I mean, look, I mean, there were guys, other guys that, and I I, I try when I was doing it, and there are other guys that I cut that, that are names now that are playing on the US teams now and are playing in these pro tournaments that I cut. Um, and but it was there's six guys forwards and there's six defensemen that can make it. Now there are twenty guys that could make the team, twenty forwards and twenty D and probably still win. And that's the crazy part about it. So when I am allowed take six forwards and six D there are going to be unbelievable players that aren't going to make it and as a coach you have guys um, you have guys that you trust and that you know no matter what, they're going to be the kind of guys you're talking about. They're going to respect the situation. They're going to take you know they're going to take it seriously. They're going to grind. They're going to be focused when all the talent is around them. Um, and there are a few guys that I stuck with for a pretty long time that I don't apologize for. Um, but there were guys that were as good or better than some of the guys that I kept that I cut, and that's not an easy thing. And it's not an easy thing to explain to people. You know, like I mean, I remember one year I, I, you know, junior Cadiz didn't make the team, and juniors, uh, in my opinion, top five, like he's amazing, yeah, he, he's absolutely amazing, and, but, it was just it, it wasn't the the lines didn't fit properly, like it was just kind of one of those things, and. I tried to handle it with as much respect to Junior as I possibly could. And Junior and I I think are still pretty good friends, even though that happened. So that kinda of tells you that guys understood, like, hey look, this is a tough team to make. I mean yeah. this is you know, it's even getting invited is it was was tough. Um, so you know, but I'm at the end of the day, I'm the asshole who cut people, and and you know, but I mean, you take on that responsibility. It is what it is. Yeah,
0: as the as the head coach, someone's got to do it. And especially like you said, representing your country. You know, you only can take six forwards, sixty. You have you know what uh, team you'll say has been built to with all this talent. You know, it's like it's nearly it's like impossible sometimes yeah, to have to tough. make that team. Yeah, it's uh, tough. And it like, um, so, as girl, when you were uh, playing RHI and Narch still playing, who was one of like the uh, toughest guys you played
4: against? The toughest player I ever played against as an overall player, and I'm not talking just necessarily just a fighter okay. or a guy, was Jerry St. Cyr. Jerry St. Cyr was um, mean, fair, tough, could fight absolute, abs- like, led the RHI in school. Oh, yeah. I mean, he was he was the entire package. Um, but if you respected Jerry, and he would give you respect, but if you cheap shot at Jerry, you were going to pay the consequences. And it wasn't going to be, he wasn't going to grab you and beat you up, I mean, even though he probably could have. Um, he was going to do something just as dirty as you did to him, or dirtier. He used to do this thing where he would stick his stick inside your glove, and wedge it so it would scrape the back of your hand. Oh shit. And and it, he would do it in such a way that he would never get caught. Just slick. Just just stick he'd turn the stick over, put it inside your glove, and just and just rake the backs <laughs> yeah. of your hand. He was he and, and he was masterful at it. But he was he was the only guy, I would honestly tell you that when I went on the floor, I was I wouldn't say afraid of, but stayed away from if I could if I could avoid him, I'd avoid him. Yeah. Like he was Crazy tough, crazy, crazy tough. That's <laughs> and there's guys that were better fighters, you know, but he was just, a hey, hands down, because it's just it was strong. He grabbed you and he you knew you're being grabbed by a man that was stronger. than How that. tall was he? Uh, six foot. Six, it, wasn't yeah. like, it, wasn't it wasn't like it wasn't. He mon- wasn't a monster. Yeah. You know, he was just, he was strong and tough. Like you grab him. And you felt uncomfortable. It's kind of like Rob Chernwood grabbing me now, who's a monster, (laughs) and I feel uncomfortable. Thursday night? Yeah, I feel uncomfortable when he grabs me because I know he's like, you feel the strength. Yeah, yeah. And it's scary. Yeah. There's
0: um So I kind of want to get into, obviously, Alkali. I want to talk about the new skate line, but I also want to talk a little about uh, NRHL. When the first NRHL came out, you were the first big sponsor of NRHL, um, and you're coming around again. Um, I think that's pretty cool. Um, Is there anything that, you know, Coming into the NRHL, Well,
4: I think, I think I think the first time I did it, it was a different mentality for me. Mm-hmm. Um, the first time I did, it, I think it was 2013. I think it ran 2013 maybe 14. Um, and the first year I did it, my brand was new. We started in our first line was at the end of 2011, um, so kind of into 2012. Um, the alkali was new, um, and realistically. In our sport, and I think everybody kind of understands this, like Southern California is Missionville, is Mission Territory, is kind of Bauer Mission. You know, it has been since 95 where it was founded here. And, you know, you walk around the rink and you see Mission everywhere, and and that's just the way it is. They kind of own Southern California. And I had a, you know, and this kind of the same thing could be said for tour in St. Louis and you know, pockets of Colorado and pockets of Philly and Long Island were are, are kind of a meld and a mix. Yeah. There's some mission, there's some tour. Um and, and Detroit to me at the time, which is it happens to be where I'm from, um, didn't really have nobody really kind of owned the the territory and the sales and um, and this NRHL thing started, and a friend of mine, I named Bobby Clauston, who was the founder with Matt Wienhoff, um called me and said hey we got this thing going on at Dumars and JCC uh, and uh, what was the third rink um, uh, the new rink maybe and uh, what was the other rink um, oh uh, Canfield in Dearborn Heights oh. um, so he's like we have you know the Chiefs and the Surge and the Border Cats and um, the Revive which is was JCC and I sat in their first meeting uh, at Joe Dumars in the back side of Joe Dumars Fieldhouse um, and kind of listen to this group talk about this league that they were starting, but it was at small rinks. Um, and so what I ended up doing outside of the Border Cats, who were a mission program at the time, I ended up kind of sponsoring when we kind of had the Alkali Surge, we had the Alkali Canfield Chiefs, yeah, and um, and uh, the, the other team was uh, the the Wings, or not the... Uh, the, uh, the Border, uh, Border Cats? No, the Border Cats, and then it was a fourth team. Um, so the Surge the JET, the Revive, okay, so the three, there was the Alkali Revive out of Mm JCC, the um, the Surge, the Alkali Surge, and then the Alkali Canfield Chiefs. I went into the Canfield Rink, which was new at the time, or it was an old building that they converted to Roller and put Alkali stuff everywhere, and so it was, at at that point in time, it was more about trying to kind of, I wouldn't say corner a territory, but kind of commit to strength in a territory, which was Detroit. Um, So, you know, I I sponsored the teams. I did the uniforms and the gloves and all the different stuff. Um, And then they kind of played around at those four rings for a while. And then they, you know, kind of went away. Um, So, you know, kind of fast forward to about a year ago when Bobby kind of came to me and said, hey, we're going to revive the NHL, got a different business plan. And I had kind of been there, done that. And it helped me definitely with sales in Detroit and the kind of the branding side of it uh, in, in Michigan. Um, but the brand was now established, you know. So I didn't really necessarily need to try to do something with some with a league or a tournament or anything else that was going to lift the brand to uh, to be a presence in the sport. Um, so the premise behind what he came back to me with was hey, we're going to. We're going to go in bigger buildings. We're going to spread it out. We're going to go to Rapids. here on St. Louis. We're going to bring back the Vipers, um, and we're going to do Detroit, a team in Detroit, and we're going to be in three thousand, four thousand seat arenas. We've got leases, like, and now, now my mentality on it has changed. And it, it, as much as it is about alkali, the brand, and trying to trying to promote via a vehicle that gives me the ability to promote the brand, it's more about trying to revive a true pro league. Um, for the sport. The tournaments have done a wonderful job of, of showcasing the talent in the sport, um, and, you know, and there's nothing, nothing's gonna change with Notre and State Wars and Tours, like you know, they're still gonna have pro divisions and they're still gonna have tournaments and the sponsors are gonna support them and the players in the sport are gonna support them. But I believe in order for our sport to truly grow, that it needs to be more nationwide visible to people who aren't necessarily in our sport today. You know, you know, Grand Rapids, for example, doesn't have any roller hockey rings. Yeah, and maybe there's one, you know, kind of whatever it may be. But there's nothing. There's no real growth of the sport in Grand Rapids or Port Huron, for that matter. Um, so the premise behind it is no different than kind of the RHI mentality of, hey, look, we're going to put this, this product on the floor and hopefully it's good enough to entice some people to come and watch. But these, these people may not necessarily be roller hockey people. They're going to be people that looking to, to, for something to do with their family on a Friday or Saturday night or a Tuesday night. Tickets are inexpensive. They're going to come, they're going to see dancers and, you know, and mascots and, um, and then, hopefully, the premise behind it is to kind of transition those people to where can I play. Yeah. Um, and then that funnels down into tournaments, that funnels down into rinks. So it's a very different objective for me this time around, trying to promote something um, as a pro league that spreads the word of the sports to places where our tournaments that are currently being played aren't necessarily happening or drawing people into playing the sport. I think that the tournaments do a wonderful job of servicing the players within the sport. Um, You see, you know, there's 140 teams playing in this tournament. And two weeks ago or three weeks ago when Arch was here, there were 130 teams. So I believe that the tournaments are doing an unbelievable job of promoting the sport to the players that are playing it. Um, and servicing the players and giving them an outlet to play in a safe, fun environment. Um, And also for my brand, enabling me to market to those people. So I feel there's nothing changes with that. Um, But I do believe that I'm trying to lift up this thing that's that's going to do something different than what the tournaments are doing, which is kind of spread the word to people that aren't playing as a fan. You know, how many people... That go to an NHL game, play the game of hockey. So, you know, so, but when they go, they see the game, there are five year olds with them, they're like, hey, like, this is a really fun game, like, where can I play? Then that springs rinks up. So it's a much broader and bigger perspective for me this time around than it was originally.
0: That's awesome, and you know that kind of transition to with your new alkali skates coming out. Um, with that stuff, what are you most excited about with um, your new skate coming out? Can you kind of tell us a little bit about the Alkali? It's the alkali reveal. You have yeah, um, yeah revel. Re- My bad. Revel. No, I butchered your name. so <laughs> Alkali Revel. You have one thing I thought was really cool is you have a goalie skate. I'm a goalie, and you know we don't. There's not a lot of goalie skates that come out, and when one does come out you get super excited about you get happy about and I think that's pretty awesome yeah,
4: so, you guys are also really finicky and
0: picky <laughs> yeah we are right we, we, we want what we want on there and that's I it had the, I
4: had a prototype at State Wars uh, in Fort Wayne and I had it on the table and I was super proud of it I'm like hey I got a Coley skate yeah Probably every goalie in the entire building come out I was like, You don't have this, you need to do this, you can do that. So unfortunately, uh, I I have a factory that's quick enough to make changes. So yeah. we made some changes to the skate before we got to production. But holy smokes my goalies are picky. I
0: hate we're we're <laughs> an a we're we're a different breed as they say. So can you tell us about um about the you know the new Revel skate coming yeah, out? Yeah, so there's
4: a little bit of history here that, you know, and you know Yeah, yeah, like, well, let's like get into digress. that. Yeah, like From the, the uh so when I started the brand in two thousand and eleven, uh-huh. um, I was coming off working uh, for another company that was kind of in the sport, but not really in the sport, and um, I, I I I was actually fired, uh, you know, from this company. Um, And I was doing, there was, you know, something, they had roller hockey, but they also had another division uh, that they were doing. I got fired, and uh, my fault, 100%, like justified, you know, you look back, and I'm like, oh, why did they let me go two days after that? And now, 10, 10, 11 years later, like, yeah, like, I was a jackass, and I was spending too much money, and I wasn't making it. I get it now, but back then, it was a tough tough pill to swallow. Uh, But, so I went to a friend of mine, um, who I had worked with, believe it or not, at Mission. Um, who was our skate manufacturer at Mission. And when Bauer purchased Mission, they took the, they took the brand, the, sk- the building of the skates for Mission, and moved it to the Bauer factory. Rightfully so. I mean, why would they have two different factories? They've got their own Bauer factories, yeah. And they, moved, they took the Mission production and moved it to the Bauer factory, which kind of left a hole with the guy that we had been building Mission skates with for so long. Um, so I approached him, kind of just not even necessarily being overly serious with him, and I just said, "Hey, do you want to you want to start a brand with me, a roller hockey brand?" And he, he the next morning, he writes back and says, "Yes." <laughs> and I'm like, "Okay." He's like, "Send me a budget." So I sent him a budget, and two weeks later, legitimately, there's a million dollars in my bank account
0: for the alkali
4: to start out. Alkali. Alkali. Um, so it was. I wouldn't say it was done as a joke. Yeah. But it, it's kind of one of those things like where you say to somebody, "Hey, we should do this." That and all happens. of a sudden it's happening. Yeah. And so I was like, uh, okay, now what? Now, <laughs> now what? Now you I have do? to Now what do I do? Yeah. <laughs> So um, we started with the name Armada, believe it or not. Um, I remember. And, uh, and uh, I got a phone call from um, our, our CEO of uh, Armada Skis that kind of told me, hey, you probably should be using that name. Yeah. So we flipped it. Uh, and that was after having all samples and everything done. Um, but at that point in time, the, the skate line that we had, the old CA-9, CA-7, kind of the RPD line, um, you know, the CA-9, RPD, and then the Max and the Shift and that line was all done uh, through a factory uh, that I was working with. Okay. okay. So we had our own tooling, we had our own last, we had our own boxes, all of these uh, outsoles, chassis, everything. And the skates were received fairly well from the marketplace. It was super comfortable, the fit was right, they were durable, all these good things happened. Um, and then in 2015, that man came to me and said, hey, you know, I've gotta, we've, gotta, we've gotta sell this, um, I need to go home. And if you know anything about production overseas, um, a lot of the factory owners in China at the time were Taiwanese men. Like that So you know, back in my day, everything was made in Taiwan, Taiwan became too expensive. The Taiwanese factory owners moved their production to China to make it less expensive for the Westerners to buy.
3: Um,
4: so he was he was Taiwanese, and his um, his a family member became ill, and he had spent you know forty years being in China. And when you're when you're a factory owner from Taiwan in China, you spend you know fifty weeks a year in the factory. Yeah. And so he's like, hey, I got I got to go home. I gotta I gotta slow down my production. I don't wanna do this much anymore. Like I gotta be home. So let's sell it. So I you know, I chopped it around a little bit and I ended up selling to a company called Wholesale Sports Inc. Um, and Alkali. Yes. Okay. So in two thousand fifteen we sold the brand to Wholesale Sports Inc. Um, I technically went with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I, I became an uh, employee at Wholesale Sports Inc. Uh, but in that time frame, the, my original factory shut down the production and, like, hey, we're not like for, for everyone. They're just like, yeah, they we're doing Jackson. They were doing a lot of other skates. And at one point in time, that factory was doing CCM, Graph, Easton, Mission. So they were doing a lot of, it was a, it was a significant uh, technology in the factory, different technologies for each of the brands. So in 2015, he shuts down his factory. And now I'm kind of forced to find a new factory in a pretty short period of time. Yeah. So. If you, skate building is not something where you just go, hey, I like that one, change the logo. It doesn't, it kind of doesn't work that way. You've got to build toe box molds and outsole molds and last and quarter compressions. And there's a lot of technology that goes into just building even a basic skate. Um, So I ended up going to a factory that um, was okay. Okay. They were a mid-end factory um, uh, in more primarily low-end product. So I was trying to kind of build a skate line that would be higher-end at a, at, a, at a mid-end or low-end factory that made good low-end skates but hadn't really made a mid- or high-end skate. Um, and the reason I ended up there was because they had an open-mold toe box. They had outsoles and they had glass and all these things that I could transition quickly. Um, so the skate came out. And it was, I would just say, it was an okay mid-end skate. You know, the low end was great, no problems. Um, but it, 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 it hurt the brand. It hurt the sales. It hurt the brand. The brand wasn't a six or $700 skate. It wasn't a premium skate anymore. Um, it was a mid-end skate, which it was a decent mid-end skate. But, you know, the, the premise is, from a, from a branding and marketing perspective, is your high end drives your low end sales. Okay. Sales wise. Yeah. You put this pinnacle up here. I mean, it's why Bauer has a $1,000 skate. Yeah. You know, but they have a $1,000 skate to sell some $1,000 skates, but it's really to drive the 199 and the mm-hmm. 299 The Yeah, the bottom skates yeah, that are... Yeah, the, the mid-end skates. Mid-end yeah. is two, 199 299 and they're building these beautiful Taj Mahals and technology and craziness yeah. at $1,000, which but they know... They, very few can buy to drive the sales down to the mid end makes sense so when I came out with the visium line uh, I my highest price point was 299 which is a mid-end price point mm-hmm. now we put magnesium on it we put carbon fiber axles and Swiss bearings and all these that's nice the things. RPD visium the visium 2 yeah visium two, yeah yeah okay. which we which we have for two and a half years that line the recon too, which are fine skates. I love those. Were all eighties. Yes, they,
0: I love those skates. Yeah. I used to. So
4: that that line is that line is a mid end skate line. So the problem with it became in our sport, there's not a whole lot of marketing outlets. Um, so when you're marketing a mid end skate, I mean, how often do you see anybody in in sports or 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 consumer goods? marketing a mid-end price point. Like, hey, this is our mid-end. I mean, maybe after you've marketed your high-end skate or your high-end product forever, kind of driving the creaminess of the brand, what ended up happening was I didn't have that. didn't have that kind of pinnacle to say, hey, here's my $1,000 skate. Yeah. What I can do to have people aspire to and end up going to the store and buying the 299? or 199 skate, I ended up having a a mid-end skate line. And our sales were fine, they were fine. So what ended up happening, but the skate wasn't gonna be good enough to be at $600 or $700. It's just that factory wasn't gonna be good enough. So back up 20 months, I get a phone call from my chassis vendor in China, and he says, hey, your old partner sold his factory finally. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, I'm like, where did he sell it to? He's like, "He sold it to this group. And I'm like, do they have my old tow box, They have my old last. They have my old all outsoles, your stuff. All my stuff that was at that factory that was basically sitting collecting dust because there was no production app. yeah. Oh, because he shut down and went he home. Shut down and went home. Oh, so, so that's why you couldn't. That's do why I couldn't make it there anymore. That. So I had to switch factories. Okay. So my chassis guy goes, I think so. I said, get me, get me his phone number. So I called the factory owner the next day and said do you have this he's like yeah I'm like do you have this he's like yeah I'm like do you have this he's like yeah I'm like, how about this he's like yeah but like, can I come see you he's like absolutely I sent him a design that day
3: uh-huh.
4: said here's 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 what I just give me a black prototype like you know blah 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 I walked in 10 days later I got a flight to China that day <laughs> I walked in the factory 10 days later and my skate was back and my toe box my last the original stuff everything's the back fit, the fit everything about it was back to what I built before um, so that was and then we tweaked it I built the quarter molds I built the eyelet mold like, I, eyelet fade all this I, but the basis of the old Macs and the old C9s and the yeah. old RPDs is now back, okay? Um, and that's why I'm super excited about the line. Is it's not it's not the fit that we've had on the vision 2, the Quantum, or the Recon. It's completely different technology, completely different skate. Um, it's a hard shell quarter. Um, it's you know it, it's you know the, the 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 designs and the materials are built into the mold. So it's it's you know we've got carbon fiber outsoles. We've got into a new rise chassis, which is eighty eighty seventy six seventy six. So I didn't have to put the split in the outsole. Like all these different things happen. It was kind of a perfect storm. Um, and what's really great about it is I've been out for the last six months booking this line. Um, with major retailers and distributors throughout the world and I've already booked more than I sold last year. No skates. shit. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty so awesome. So I'm super excited. I've got a $600 skate back. I've got a $600, a $400, a $300, a $200. And that's what,
0: you know, the like you were saying, the yeah. range of skates what it should be, you know, because... Yeah we're playing roller hockey, you know, we can't, you know, we don't want to afford a thousand dollar pair of skates, Correct. even though you, even though they're nice, they're very appealing, they're great. But like you said, kind of want to market. Yeah. When, and when and it it's,
4: being able, it's being able to market the brand as premium again, mm-hmm. and it's not marketing as, Hey, we're really quality mid end skate. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've been doing for the last three years yeah. is, which again, there's plenty of companies that do that. There's plenty of companies that have that niche and they go, but, but our, our, our market is so small than not, you know, having the outlet to market something that's six hundred dollars and put my pro guys in it and put every guy that's gonna play in the NRHL yeah. in that skate, mm-hmm. which we have the exclusive skate rights to the entire league. That's pretty cool. So now all of a sudden I've got a platform again to market a premium skate, bring the brand back to premiumness, um, and then that assist in selling a 199 or a 299 or a 149. Yeah. Um and even down to the adjustable, you know, our sixty nine and seventy nine dollar adjustable skate. So now the brand all of a sudden And it's not necessarily, you know, people say like, oh, this is a better skate. Yes, it's a much, much better skate than it has been for the last two and a half years. But the brand is now back and considered premium as opposed to, hey, what happened to them? Yeah. And that's really what I feel like has happened the last kind of two or three years is... What happened? To them. Not physically, like at yeah. events, but, but you have always like, been there. Yeah. But well, what happened? What happened? The skates that we used to know and and people loved, and there were a lot of followers behind the brand. People transitioned away from it over the course of the last three years. And they might not have known, like you kind of were explaining. Yeah. Well, they the don't whole, know the reason why. No. They don't know that why don't That's we story. have six hundred dollars skates? So yeah. It's it's a it's an interesting position to be put into, um, but at the same time, you know. I'm almost 50 years old and I'm still learning and still, you know, trying to learn about how to run a business and branding strategies. Um, What this taught me was that you really, really can't fool consumers. Like consumers are going to, consumers know. Mm -hmm. And when you're trying to potentially do something that it's not underhanded, it's not sneaky, it's not, but you're trying to kind of put lipstick on a pig to a certain yeah, degree yeah. Um, and it's and it, they, they they see through it yeah. they know like hey that isn't as good as it was Yeah, even though it's got this on it magnesium and it's got a great wheel and a great bearing and a carbon fiber outsole the boot wasn't as good as it had been mm-hmm. and you know I did what I had to do during that time period to get skates to the market, and there, I, and I'm not, I'm not ashamed of this skate by any stretch. Um, it's it's a good quality mid-end skate. Yeah. But it was it was me trying to kind of market it as oh it's more. It yeah. wasn't more. It was just a mid-end skate and it was a good mid-end skate. Now, I'll scream from the rafters that I have a $600 high-end premium skate that I'm super confident pro guys and high-end players can wear Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't have done the NRHL deal that I did with Skates had I not had that yeah. so I didn't I you know I kind of learned my lesson like hey if we're going to be a mid-end line we're going to be a mid-end line let's market ourselves that way um, so you know um, again i'm almost 50 and you, 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 you kind of figure shit out as you go right and you yeah learn and you make mistakes and you learn from
0: them well, that's really cool i think getting to hear like you said a lot of people don't know nothing happened to alkali but you, you just didn't have the products and then now you do yeah. and now it's uh i think that's pretty thank you for sharing that insight about that because i didn't know and i'm a big fan of alkali yeah, nobody nobody
4: nobody really yeah yeah but now it's not something you go out and go hey my skate line wasn't as good as it used yeah, to. yeah you're
0: be. not going to post it somewhere and let, right. you know, like, 100%. Yeah. Um, but
4: I I mean the sport is small enough to you know sport's small enough for people to kind of know and understand and and I think being honest with people again is probably the more intelligent direction for me to go and, yeah. um, and you know now now the story is understandable, I guess, would probably be the easiest way to put it. Yeah. It's understandable about hey, where did those skates go? Yeah. It's not like I, you know, made this switch like, hey, I think I wanna to go to this place and build mid end skates. I mean I was forced to I had to. Yeah,
0: you didn't have a choice. And that's
4: what kept the brand alive. Yeah. You know, after two thousand fifteen. It's awesome. Uh
0: so you uh, with I like talking about the goalie skate. Kind of yep. want to go back to that goalie skate. Um, Zach Wayne, he's was he wearing those goalie skates? He was, we didn't have
4: him yet. Okay. Didn't have you No, know, he wore a prototype, but it was a bad one. This, so he um, went for a little while and, and punted on it.
0: So with this new goalie skate coming out, what's uh, what's a little bit different that you could say that might be different from other goalie
4: skates? Well, I I don't know that there's a significant amount of difference in terms of you know the the isthmus padding on the back. And, mm-hmm. You know I mean the, the lack of the time. But what I tried. To do was, um, you know, I, I made a, a couple of different cuts in the chassis so the guys can get the toe straps through.
0: I noticed that. And yeah, you, have so, these? you know, just,
4: just, but again, I didn't have that originally until the goalies yelled at me at State Wars over the summer, um, because, you know, I, I thought... I, you know, I, I thought, hey, I'm going to build a goalie skate and um, I just got to slap a chassis on it and lower the boot and we'll be all good. I and mean, it's mm-hmm. a hard shell, so I don't need to put a cowling on it and so on and so forth. Um, and, you know, believe it or not, Tommy Nostromo, I don't know if you know Tommy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He was one of the guys at State Wars, believe it or not, that came up and said, hey, come here. Because he's a good friend. He's yeah. like a super sweet kid. He's quite nice. And kid. he's like, hey, like, let me show you a couple of things about what I use and how I do it. And, um, and I, you know, it wasn't arrogance, meaning like, yeah, I'm just going to go to goalie skate. But I thought I didn't really think much about the needs of a goaltender, other mm-hmm. than hey, I got a boot that you know you don't have to go buy cowling or. Now I'm gonna offer something and I'm gonna sell a ton. Yeah. Um he was he was the most kind of the goaltenders that I dealt with. He's such a nice guy yeah. too. Like he And then somebody put it up on on like some goalie forum and one of my buddies was like, You're getting shredded. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, You're getting shredded. Not me. Yeah, like, not but you, but the, the brand output, like, oh, yeah. these goalies are shredding it. So I went on and actually kind of read through it mm-hmm. constructively and just yeah. was like, you know, obviously some guys are you know keyboard tough guys and they call you names and you know you're an idiot, you don't know what you're doing. But I read through that to find the constructive ones that were actually trying to help me. Yeah, instead of just and the being feedback, a jerk. Yeah, and the feedback. So I made a few changes. I put a strap on the back for the for the for the heel strap. Change the chassis a little bit in the front so you could get a toe strap through it. And you know, and you know, look, I, interestingly enough, we launched the website like four days ago, and I have beautiful. Used, by the way, I love that. I like it. Yeah, my, if you guys back. haven't checked it out, Alkali.
0: Yeah, it's AlkaliHockey.com. Al- AlkaliHockey.com.
4: Yep. But. Um, the the probably the most questions I got after I launched it was, hey, you have a junior goalie skate? Because um, we take the Rebel Four G down to a size two, so we have a two, three, four, and five. Okay. And here at the tournament, I've had nine kids that are nine kids that are of that age, you know, that are in that size. They're like, where when, when are they coming out? When are they coming out? Because most of them are wearing player skates right now. Cause they, they don't you know they don't make a junior most don't make a junior roller skate so that's super exciting and you know, i've got some pad technology that i'm working on that i've had been working on for about 18 months um that's super exciting it's super expensive uh trying to build it but um i'm you know and it's i Zach Lane is testing that pad okay. been for a while um but yeah i'm trying to do something for goaltenders that is a bit of a meld of what something is, you know, is, you guys see now and, and, mm-hmm. and are using either as an apparatus outside of what they're using or actually integrated into the pad. But yeah. there's there's a piece missing, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, for roller that I'm working on, um, that I've got prototypes and designs done. That so now I'm starting to try to think. And you know, Tommy was hugely helpful, and Zach has been hugely helpful to just me allowing me to pick their brains mm-hmm. and say, so I don't make the same mistake again that I yeah. made when I came out with
0: the goal yeah. escape. And definitely. So what is, uh, how's that kind of like in that prototype? You know, obviously you don't want to give too much out, but Well, I think
4: you see. tried it, and again, I mean, it was a... It was Can you a, give any, a little more information it a, on a, it, it? Just it's the ability for a goaltender to, you know, I mean, the goaltenders have the ability to kind of go side to side in the butterfly now, but um, I don't believe they have an ability to stop themselves. Okay. Um, so that would kind of give you an indication of what nice. I'm trying to do. Nice, okay. Okay. Um, so, you know, and be able to uh, utilize, like in ice hockey, where a lot of the cowlings have uh, grooves built in to dig into the ice. So they don't have to, so goaltender doesn't have to get all the way to his blade. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you think about a goaltender um, trying to push from one side to another in his butterfly position, think about how high the pad has to come off the ground to get to the wheel grip. To be mm-hmm. able to push back. Yeah. Oh yeah. So that's what I'm working on is right. an ability for a goaltender to stay in his position and be able to push and stop from side to side. That's
0: awesome. Yeah, I think that's cool, especially with a uh, always improving goalie aspect
4: too, not just the player. It's you know, harder this transition for anybody to play the game of roller hockey. Players can go out and transition from and do what they do. It's just about skating. Mm-hmm. Um, goaltenders, it's a completely one hundred percent different. We're weird. We're
0: a weird breed. We expect always something else in it to be exactly perfect.
4: Well, and and and, and the transition to be to, to being able to go side to side it is not. I mean, you can unweight yourself on a nice blade. And, and or T push and and slide over and stop yourself. I mean, how many times have you twisted your ankle trying to stop?
3: Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. it's 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 brutal. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So
4: that's it's it's harder for goaltenders to transition than it is for players to transition from ice the roller and so a lot of kids that are coming from ice and want to play in roller tournaments they go they go out as a goaltender and they hate it the first time and they don't want to do it anymore yeah where players are like this is great there's so much more room and i get to hold the puck longer goalies want to shoot themselves yeah because the <laughs> they can't slide because around. they can't slide around and they can't stop and they can't play their normal game that's cool so much harder transition for them
0: so it might be might help some of the ice goalies transition yeah, a little easier and make easier. play play the May game they or...
4: play play similarly to the way they
0: play that's, in ice hockey. That's cool. That's awesome. That's that's good to hear from me being a goalie. You always want to see the improvements on the goalie side. Um, well, we've been talking for a while here. Do you uh, kind of want to ask you one more question? I had a special question to ask you from uh, good old Dweezy. Um, Kevin wanted me to ask you about a text message he sent you before you were boarding a flight to Finland. I think it was to
4: you and Dan Brennan. It was. It was. Um, I don't remember if it was 2017 or 2015 Um, Kevin Kevin didn't make the double HF team Um, and he wasn't I had invited him the year before to tryouts and he didn't make it that year Um, but I think I had at that time I think I had I don't remember maybe Zach Lane and Jerry Kuhn, the year that he was in Colorado and did make the team. Then the next year what I ended up doing was I invited two goaltenders to camp and I was going to pick up a third one um, after, because we had had tryouts during tours, or right after tours, or during tours actually, right after the pro division. So I kind of scouted the pro division, you know, Dan and I, Dan came in, we we actually had double HF tryouts in the middle of the tours event in Detroit. Um, so that people could see and watch and watch our practices and watch the tryout process, um, which was great. Um, but I invited a, a different goaltender than Kevin that year um, to try out, and it happened to be James Mellow. Um, you know, so it wasn't like it was some you know it's, it's Mellow. Yeah, he's good. But, but Kevin had been there bef- the year before, and Kevin was coming off of a very good year, and Kevin had had a great tournament at tours that year. Um, and but you know, I ended up inviting. Uh, I think it was at that point in time Jerry Kuhn. Um, uh, it was um, Mello and and Redman. and maybe it wasn't Jerry. I, I think it was Jerry, um, but I didn't. We didn't take Kevin for tryouts, and I got this kind of. I don't even, I don't want. I don't want to say rude because it was just an. I got an emotional text message uh, from from Kevin about kind of telling me, you know, in his own words. Like, I was nuts. Like, how do you, how, how do I not take, like, you yeah. know. So, we're in, like, Dan and I read it, and I think Dan replied. I didn't reply. I'm like, look, I like Kevin a lot, yeah. so I'm not going to, I'm not going to text him back right now. I'm the least he's mad. He's, and I understand. Like, yeah. I mean, it's a huge opportunity, and he was upset about it. Um, but I didn't respond, I think Dan did, because Dan knew him better, because the kids played, he played at, Linden, you know, uh, yeah, s- yeah. Stepson played at Lindenwood. And, Josh um, Holmes, I grew up playing with him. So, Dan responded in the in the only the fashion that Dan can, um, and I didn't say anything. So while I'm in Finland, my wife calls me, and she says, um, who's Kevin Dwyer? I'm like, "Why? he's a goaltender." I'm like, why is he, why are you asking me this? She's like, he hit me up, I think, on Facebook or somewhere on some social media like asking for our address. And I'm like, um, she's like, do I give it to him? And I'm like, well, I, don't, maybe, I wonder if Kevin is elevated his anger to me or is, he, is his anger depleted to me? I'm not really sure which one it is. But I'm like, you know, like, Kevin's a good kid. I'm yeah. like, go ahead. So what happened was I got home and there was a letter waiting for me. And... It was a handwritten note apologizing for the text message he had written to me. Um, And he took ownership. um, He apologized. He kind of understood and maybe had some empathy towards the situation that I was in um, of trying to pick three guys out of ten to kind of come in. Um, And what I would say is Kevin and I became much, much closer at that point in time because now, you know, young people... And I am that old guy. Young people sometimes do shit without any repercussions or they don't understand that they, they just think they were wrong mm-hmm. and they don't ever put it put themselves in somebody else have any empathy towards anybody else. It's just about them and it's an incredibly selfish position to be in. Um, I gained hundred percent more respect for Kevin that he took the time not to send me a text message, not to hit me up on Facebook, not to send me a LinkedIn message. He took the time to write a handwritten letter and apologize. So Kevin, at that point in time, became a kid that I have more respect for than most that I've dealt with in the game of young people. That's so awesome. he's a wonderful human being, um, and you know, and and I think he now. Although probably still mad at me for not taking them, probably <laughs> understands why I went the way that I went. Yeah. Um, so you know that you know that's the Kevin Dwyer story, and there's yeah. plenty more that I could. Oh, about, we can but, get into some some crazy ones. But uh, not not for not for today. But that's you know yeah. Dwyer is a kid that. You know, it's it's, and I actually sat my son down and was like, "Hey, look, look what this kid did." Yeah. You like, know, kind of teach my twenty four year old, "Hey, like this, like this is how you handle when you when you when you do something stupid." Yeah. Because I think Kevin would admit that, "Hey, it was dumb. Like, yeah, I shouldn't have done it." Yeah. No, yeah. Um, you know, and I'm sure he was sitting with a bunch of his buddies. They're like, "How is it possible that you didn't?" You know, and, I, and that you know, you get riled up and you go, "Oh, great, I oh, am." Yeah. You know. Like, yeah. I've had you know a few beers and I'm feeling you know my muscles are my keyboard muscles are. A couple major great. marks and mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, yeah. My, my keyboard muscles are pretty big and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell this guy off. Yeah. And then I think you realize, like, oh, shit, like, I probably shouldn't have done that. Yeah. But th- to take the time to not just shoot me a text and be like, hey, bro, sorry, man, like, I shouldn't wrote that. Like, hope we're good. Yeah, He took the time to handwrite a page letter and tell me w- what was going on with him, what was going on in his life, why he was upset, you know, apologize, and I gained a shit ton of respect for Kevin. That's cool. That's there. awesome.
0: Yeah, kind of something, you know, start off emotional to him get, gaining your respect. Yeah, That's pretty awesome. Yeah, and you probably made him work a lot harder, too. You know, he's like, I'm going to get on
4: that team now. Yeah you know and, what I mean? And then, you know, he goes with Greg and Tim last year and wins a gold medal. You know? hey. So... So, That's how it works, right? It's a pretty cool little story. I <laughs> yeah, probably, probably died halfway through each game because of the heat. <laughs> heat strokes. Yeah.
0: Well, I just want to say thank you, Joe, for taking time sitting here. We got about we got an hour of Joe Cook, so I never thought I would be able to talk to him about an hour. We could probably talk for. Another two more about anything, but I just want to say thank you again for taking the time talking to me about this. It was pretty cool, very insightful stuff about the alkali. You know, you know, the brand never went anywhere. It's just now you have a new line skate, and it's something that not only seniors but juniors and junior goalies can look for it too because it has sizes for everyone so
1: um
0: check them out akalai instagram facebook twitter and march 1st march 1st march 1st they're out they're on sale they're on sale so that's a wrap thank you guys
2: um now you guys so done with that tournament as in season summer season starting it's coming around the corner as we're heading into March. You guys believe that it's already March? Like, it's already flew by.
1: I was just gonna say, like, <laughs> spring is in like I don't know a couple weeks, which is nuts. But that's yeah. why I said that's why we said on the uh, New Year's pod, like, yo, after a couple of winter nationals, like the tourney season's right around the corner, yeah. and we've got it all the way until like August. So it's it's a good time of year it's a good time of year. I know, I know like Ronnie and Darren and Timmy, like these guys look forward to this time of year because after their summer national, it's like, Oh man, I got to wait till winners, you know? And I think that's why Ronnie um, got the little OC classic going like in November as like a little like, Hey, you know, there's a tournament going on in california here in november but these guys man this is i mean this is what they live for is this time of year some regionals and seeing where teams get placed what divisions and stuff and and then it rolls into the big events in the summer so uh love the springtime a lot of good memories as a kid about driving to you know down to monument and down to the arena and playing or driving up to ods and playing and just having tournaments every other weekend man it's a good time of year
0: yeah i mean we got starting in march march 1st there's a state wars tryouts uh norcal silver creek sportsplex but starting march 1st literally all the way till april 11th there's roller every single weekend. You know, you got the Cope de France on uh, March 14th through the 15th, the championship of that you have, which I will be at winter wars, East coast 20th through the 22nd. You also have a NARCH regional um, that weekend as well. That's in San Jose. And then the following weekend, you even have more narch and state war stuff. You also have the tours winter cup, in Salt Creek Sportsplex uh, 27th through
2: 29th and it's just right. like March whoa, is, whoa. you just say I'm going to that and you're talking March 14th
0: 15th oh no yeah so I'm going to Winter Wars Oh, East Coast 20th to 22nd oh, no, I'm not
2: going to uh... I thought you said you're going to France no I'm
0: going
1: to France oh, I oh hey
0: can I add some real quick I just want to yeah. make a huge shout out <laughs> So I got to talk to someone pretty cool because they love French roller hockey. You know, Alicia Pogu. Mm -hmm. So she plays for the Palm Golden Knights. love Alicia. Awesome. She also has a new, uh, she has a new company. It's called. uh,
1: Yeah yes there you go i don't know why i've literally been like all dude. through this week i've been like in my head like be so, be cute. Be so cute. Yeah. Like, it's cool dude it's really yeah like funny. i don't know why but it's like a super catchy name so yeah so she set up awesome. at,
0: she set up at winter wars and um you know we did a little video with her and everything and that was really cool so as i'm doing the video of you know what she's there selling and everything first time meeting her very nice lady and uh her parents were there and her dad jumps up and start talking to him. And I comment because I know he had a roller hockey jersey for his birthday, American flag and a French flag. And I was, he's like, you know, I told him I ran roller dad. He's like, oh, he's like, I love, you know. Kind of following along with the French roller hockey. And we just, we talked for like 20 minutes about French roller hockey. It was the coolest thing in the world. They love it. They're telling me about um, the Copa de France. They said that is probably one of the funnest and coolest things they've ever seen. Um, and then also the Sparta Cup. They love the Sparta Cup. They said that is such an experience. Um, and then obviously the Ligue elite um, the French main league. So it was awesome getting to talk to them. Shout out to that
1: family. Um, they're if, awesome. you wanna, if you want to talk about a dad who just absolutely like loves it and roller loves every dad. part of the tournament <laughs> and every part of the sport, Mr. Pogu is like, we need to make a little emblem of Mr. Pogu as the roller dad guy. I think we do. He is truly like. you make a shirt? Oh, my God. He is truly one of the coolest guys in the sport. Uh, you know, the Pogus have um, Elisa, her her sister. I think she's got two younger sisters. I mean, like, the family's always playing. Mom and dad are always there. They, it's, you can't catch them in a bad mood. They're always, like, happy to be at the rink and just enjoying, like, the atmosphere and environment. Um, the first night I got to Barcelona, uh, and, and Junior and I went and watched, like, the USA Juniors, like, Mr. Pogu's there cheering on. Um, Elisa's sister. I can't remember her name and I am so sorry, but I, I mean, like it, they were, they were there in Barcelona. I think they went to France, like after Barcelona or Lily, Lily. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, Mr. Pogu is one of the coolest guys. I remember a couple of years ago getting to go over to their house and like just hang out and, um, uh, like, cause, cause I, Joey D picked me up from the airport. So I got to go hang out with like Teeks and Pogu and Emily and just like that whole crew junior and stuff. And just such good people, such good people.
0: Kind of back to what we were talking about with, um, you know, the tournaments coming up and all the roller season. I mean, after April 10th and 11th that weekend after that, it just continues. I mean, you have NCRHA finals too, coming up in April. Is that Um, after that weekend? It, uh, it's fifteenth through the nineteenth. So,
1: oh, okay, it's on a it's on a different date this year. Okay, cool. Yeah.
0: So you know, there's it's nonstop. And speaking of roller coming up, I mean, we got tomorrow. Um, tomorrow is the I'm going to butcher this probably the GPICHL. It's like the NCRHL. Lindenwood vs Bethel, the classic roller hockey college rivalry. The Lions. Versus the wildcats <laughs> <laughs> boys, I mean Kevin, you've played in that for I mean how many times have you played in that uh conference championship
1: <sighs> If my memory serves me correct i believe uh I believe four because my last year I was at home during the oh no no so five sorry five so how many, um,
0: how many um conference championships do you have over Bethel?
1: Over Bethel? In particular. Or not over Bethel, I should say, but just
0: conference champion. Oh, that's overall,
1: who I'm, I'm quite certain it's five. <laughs> not a <laughs> you know one, Quite do. certain <laughs> it's five. Um,
0: right. So that being said, what are some of your memories and your kind of take on coming up tomorrow is the uh, best of three series between the D1, LU versus Bethel? Um, what's your take on that?
1: It's ironic you asked me because y- you want to talk about great Plains collegiate inline hockey league conference champion division championships
0: we need a new name for that because great Plains is not a
1: mouthful
0: not just a mouthful it but, is a mouthful. It's just, but. It, doesn't, it doesn't sound original for like great Plains. and then you have to get to the inline hockey at the end it should just be like like an inline great i don't know i don't know but just a long word.
1: They gotta, <laughs> yeah. they gotta brand the collegiate part of it, though. Yeah, then just have. I it will say, I will say, you want to knock on it all you want. Great I'm Plains has the best. Great Plains has the best logo out of the collegiate league. They got a sweet little sick. like tornado. Yeah,
2: yeah, that is dope. That's I don't yeah. know. I, I think the Rocky Mountain is maybe pretty sick. Him, I'm not gonna. Maybe watch.
1: call him
0: Tony Twister, mm. Tony, Tony something. Dude, have you not seen the Rocky Mountain one? That one's sick.
1: I didn't play here. So I don't know what it looks like because there weren't really a lot of teams.
0: Right <laughs> Jeff's like, well, I don't know what that. Yeah, There's a just couple mountains, right? On him.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, sorry for hating on GPI. No, it wasn't. It's but... okay. Um, man, like I was saying, you want to talk about conference championships? Well, I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind with Bethel is my last game wearing a Lindenwood sweater, dude. We lost one to zero in Cedar Rapids a couple of years ago. So I mean. Obviously, still think about that. I mean, it's a one to zero game, and you lose it to in the quarters. We weren't even in the semis yet. Um, and then you think back to all the times with a couple different teams, a couple different personnels and stuff. Uh, the first time Bethel came to play us at the wheel in Wright City, Missouri, they scored the first goal of the game. They scored like kind of early. And I think it was like, I, I could be wrong, but it was like a little bit of a snipe. I'm, I'm sorry, Humes, but I think it was a little bit of a snipe. And we literally like, uh, like turned it around in an instant. And it was 11 to 1 by the end of the second period. Damn. The game was over. We won. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. hammered up. <laughs> hammered up. So then what had happened the year before, too, I think we played them. Uh, once or twice, but then in the championship at uh at in Utah in Salt Lake City, they won. They had footer. They had the other kid um in net from Canada. They had the one. Um,
3: yeah,
1: and then they had um. I I believe his name's Cole. I think his first name's Cole. Um, yeah. They had Cole. They had Kakoa They they had a pretty good team. Like my freshman year, Is a lot of those guys as year. And we lost to UNLV, and they beat UNLV in the championship, I believe, because if That's we would have won, we would have played summer run. What's that?
0: That's when Footer went on his uh, summer run. He won that. Oh,
1: went. yeah. He, he went won double like IHF, everything. and then
0: he won revision, too, gold.
1: Yeah, he won kid everything. went off.
0: Josh Foot. Name drop. Kid went off. Canada, I Alberta. Little, let me give you a little uh, cool little thing about that, actually, from that kid. Josh Foot played him when I was in sixteen under. I was on the Colorado Kodiaks. He was on the Sherwood Bull Park Bullfrogs. Oh yeah. And dude, like this Canadian team, like our Kodiak team was pretty fucking good, but this <laughs> this can this Canadian team was <laughs> disgusting. I Those mean, guys they
1: were really good.
0: They just didn't, dude. They both of their players won. Kind of funny. I won that year at Narch. I won the top goalie in the uh, skills competition there. One of their players won the speed and their other player won the uh, breakaway contest. The dude did it like a fucking between the legs, Michigan, like for like, it was just like, what in the fuck? But these kids were so good. Like, oh, they were unreal. And uh, yeah, so he beat me. Um, and I'm pretty sure we lost them in the third place game. Uh, Cause they won third place and we lost in the third place game at Narch to them and uh, 16 and under. Yeah. So,
1: actually, did their goalie always have like some pad covers like you too? Always, always. Have yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember. It didn't I think like his grandma or his mom like backed exactly. them or something? Is yeah. it? Yeah.
0: It wasn't Nixon, was it? No. Or Nixford? No. Were
2: was they it? like sick colors or anything? Like, were they, yeah, they yeah, always like, match. of them
1: everything. were like green and yellow, or like That's sick. like I remember in San Jose, like I remember the short. The, that team and and they had uh the goalie had like pad
0: covers yeah So those pad covers and then you'd also match them for state wars when you'd go to state wars their color for their team they would nice. always you would always do that too so but yeah i thought that was kind of cool little thing playing against that kid then but yeah
1: well we uh we definitely had some like bouts with bethel like don't get me wrong like there were some close games through the years and stuff like that i mean like i said the one that always I remember vividly is, you know, the second shot of the game going in in Cedar Rapids, and I'm just sitting there like, there's so much time, we're, so, we're fine. And by the end of the second period, it's like, all right, we're just shooting pucks from the top of the box. Like, why are we unable to, like, get through the box? Yeah. They boxed it up. Ended up losing one nothing. But, dude, Bethel's been like – Wait, do they Bethel? play a box – uh I mean they did when we had like Croman awesome. and yeah, Krog's and um Casey Jesus Christ, who was on Krog's line who was on oh Trent Madison. And um, some other guys. So yeah, I mean, like they played a box. I don't think they do now though, because they've got. I mean, they've got Caden. Yeah. They've got um. They've got yeah. a couple Jermaine other Kers. kids who like, can take care of a box, or who, yeah. who don't who can take care of a man who don't need to play in I a mean,
0: box. I mean, their goalie is an absolute fucking stud, Jimmy Teed.
2: Yeah, he's a monster for that sure. He's sick.
1: And yeah, it was him and it was him and Blaine, right? Uh, I think uh, for... it's actually our
0: boy from Colorado, Noah Vanderbeck.
1: Him, uh, him and uh, Blaine were playing for Canada this summer. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, this summer for Canada. Yeah, because I think – is it Lane or Blaine? I think it's B-Lane on, like
1: – I think it's Lane, yeah.
0: I think B-Lane's <laughs> is, like, uh, Instagram. the
1: handle. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to B-Lane Hartwell.
0: It's, it's, <laughs> All it's, on Lane, it's
1: Lane and Teen in Canada, right?
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, no, so – For the Bethel team, I think it's Vanderbeck and Teed as the goalies. Okay. Yeah.
1: But yeah, they I mean like, dude, Bethel's bested them and and for being an alum, like it's hard to swallow. It's hard to swallow and And it's hard to like. Great players too. Because yeah. yeah. It's not like we're short of like talent. It's more like we're short of like the will and the want. Um, yeah, so like when these when these scores come out, like, believe me, like when I was there, I heard it from, you know, guys on my team, like, yo, like alumni watches and alumni cares. And I knew when I was alumni that I would care too. So it's a little disheartening to see losses to Bethel uh, as an LU alum. I will just put that out there for (laughs) all the boys I talk to on a weekly basis that 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 can't happen at LU. <laughs> so oh. hopefully, uh, hopefully the black and gold take care of business tomorrow, or else I'm just going to be at a loss for why uh, why they can't beat Bethel, why they can't match up against them. They played them great in the semifinal for uh, the collegiate championship last year.
2: Yeah, they did.
1: Ronnie Ronnie had even said he thought that was their best game of the season. And they played them really well. I think Bethel went up, but then Linden would just kind of storm back and and really took care of business, but for whatever reason it is this year, like they they just they can't match up with them very well. I don't I don't know why. I obviously haven't watched any games, but man, it's it's a little it's a little frightening that you're dropping games to, you know, your conference opponent leading up to championships, man. <laughs> No,
0: hundred percent. I mean, if you want to compete for a uh, national championship, granted, those two teams are the top three, top five ch- uh, yeah. strongest teams, and Absolutely. they are like they are in a dog eat dog conference. Other than you know Farmingdale being up there, and also Slippery Rock, they're pretty good this year. Um, but yeah, like you said,
1: yeah, I, they've got a pretty good team,
0: huh? Yeah, but yeah, I think Not like slippery. you said, if you want to compete for a national championship, you you need to win your conference. You know? Yeah you have to be the dominant of your conference and uh yeah so i mean i don't have any ties to either team but i would just ask you know your kind of thing this is um this might be put out before um it might be put out before they play or it might not what's your prediction who wins that three game series Uh, I think,
1: um... Oh, that's right. I forgot that that's how it happens, too. Yeah, it's tomorrow night, Friday. It's Friday and Saturday.
0: Three-game series. Who wins that?
2: I think I'm going to go with Lindenwood. I think, uh, I think this... All this Kevin talk speaking into existence is going to happen.
1: Yeah, put this out there so the frickin' boys hear it. Um... Just based on the way the scores and stuff have been going, I'm gonna say Lindenwood is gonna win two. To, it's gonna go three games. I think it. I think Lindenwood will win in the two. Okay. I think it'll go to a third game. George, what you say?
2: I said I think Lindenwood too. Uh, I think. Uh, I think I root for a third game, boys. <laughs>
0: Fuck, boys, you're making me go to the fucking Bethel because you guys go to or what? No, you can you can do whatever
1: you want, dude. I can go I, whatever. I, you know what? I can't sit here and say, hey, I think Bethel's going to win because of course I would can. be a you're pretty right. awful alum. But. <laughs> yeah. you, you know one.
0: what? Fuck. I mean, Lou's good. They got De La Marte, They got Morte. They got They got fucking
1: – Rosa, Bryson uh, Johnson, Acosta yeah. – that's like, a deep we team. can go on. Yeah. That's and what you
0: I got, mean. You got and if you got Robinson and Nett. Dude, that kid, he's money. On Bethel, on the other
1: it's, hand. It's, but, go ahead. Go ahead. I'll get into it. I'll get into that after.
0: Okay. But, see, you have Bethel, on the other hand, where you have Caden Riccardi. Um, that kid's an absolute monster, okay? You know, he might be underrated not really too big in the pro scene right now, but guarantee this. Two, three years, that kid's going to be – a radar. That kid just fucking wheels. He's great. Played with uh, the Roadrunners this summer. Won uh, West Coast Pro Finals with them. And, you know, he absolutely is a stud. They also have Brandon Kirst. Great player from Nebraska. Played with uh, Ethan Frank um, you know from Western Michigan. And uh, he, he can put the puck in the net, you know. And when they have those kind of players and then a goalie like Jimmy T behind them, you know, I don't know. Anything's possible, but lose so deep. I don't, I just, I don't know. Um,
2: Make a pick.
0: I'm going to go with uh, Bethel wins in the uh, third game. Jimmy Teed has an absolute unreal game. I think he had 50 saves last time, in the last year in the championship versus them. So Jimmy Teed <laughs> plays unbelievable again. Caden Riccardi goes off for the Colorado Boys.
2: Yeah. Kevin, did you have any last-minute thoughts? Well, what I was
1: gonna say was like man. <laughs> <You got> mad. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, <laughs> I didn't get mad. You had said it. You said Jacob Robinson, like, you know, he's a stud. He is a stud. That being said, like Hume's Humes and I, I feel like, you know, we're upper echelon too, but like that league is weird sometimes. I don't know why. It doesn't, it's not, it's not pro roller hockey. So it doesn't always translate. And sometimes, like, you come out and you play an angle too hard, and all of a sudden you're letting, like, a far side low blocker shot go in. Or, like, some guy works his bag off, gets a bounce, and you think you're making the right play as a goalie, and all of a sudden, like, you're either looking very silly or you're, like, it's bizarre. But, like you said, you saw him. You saw him in Detroit this summer play against Alkali. I saw him play for the Border Cats in Indiana. Like, he is a really good goalie, and he's not big, obviously. Like, he's, what, I'd say 5'10", 5'9"? Yeah. And so, yeah, like, his pads are a little bit bigger, but, like, he's a smaller guy. So he plays his angles so well that, yeah, he he absolutely can be a difference maker. So, uh, as you said, Jimmy T. You know, steals the show in Game Three. Uh, that's why I think it is going to go three games. Because for these guys who do play pro, like it, it's it's a different league, it's a different game, and so their skills you see at certain tournaments don't always translate to that league and the way that league's played. And uh, uh, are they playing at Queenie? Are they playing in St. Louis, Madison? Square Garden, oh Madison, okay. Then that makes it even even more of like a toss up because Queenie's a small rink, yeah, and um, just depending on who's playing, what system, and and you know all that, anything can happen on Queenie. However, them playing at Madison, I I think that does favor Lindenwood a little bit more, but you know only
2: the last thing I really wanted to get into is if there's anything else you guys want to talk about. I wanted to get into some rolling this- I want to get into some roller in the show news. I couldn't talk. Um, You guys down for that? Are you guys anything else you want to talk about?
1: uh, I know we talked about Cook earlier, and I I didn't really get to chime in, but, like, I – getting to know him through, like, Cody Kettler and, and Krogman and Novak a little bit, like, he is one of the, you know, most authentic guys that we do have in our sport. He's Absolutely. he's lived through, he you know he was at Mission for a bit. Now he's at Alkali. He's he's produced skates and like if you think about it, created like think about our sport. Like you got to have kind of a particular skate. It's, they're not all ice boots, but you know he's been in the game for so long. He played collegiate ice hockey at Miami of Ohio. He was a stud. Yeah. So he's he's done so many things overall hockey wise, but for our sport in particular, he, he brings something that is, you know, a bit of a breath of fresh air. Like you were saying, he was giving you shit about a lot of stuff. And like, I always forget too, that that's how he is. Like, I, I forget like if I walk by him and I don't say hi, he's just like, hi, Kevin. Nice to see you too. And like, I won't have seen him for like a year. And I'm like, Oh, what's, what's up, Joe? Like, so he, he's awesome. And the one story I had, we won juniors um, in Chicago at State Wars 2013, I believe, in Chicago. So about seven years ago, we, uh, me and Cody had bleached hair still um, <laughs> from us in yeah. Florida at Lindenwood. And um, I don't think pros had started yet. So we won juniors, and Joe was coaching our team. You know, we had yeah. Cody could still play. Corey was playing. I think we had Tommy Wilson. We had Kroggs and Novak. Like we had a six squad. Um, actually, Novak wasn't there yet. That's right, Novak wasn't there yet. But yeah, we had a good team. Um, Paulo Town, right? Or Paul, uh, right? Paul Town? Yeah, Paul Town, Paul Town. And uh, no, 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 not the goal. Paul O'Connor, oh, O'Connor, Paul O'Connor, Paul O'Connor. <laughs> Paul O'Connor. So we had like a good junior team and we won. And um not a big deal. Joe decides like ah fuck it like these guys won juniors like we'll fi- we'll find a way to like celebrate. He took us out to like this Brazilian steakhouse dude. Like Brazilian legit, steakhouses are the best. I was I was in, I was at their hotel hanging out and they're all like, do you want to come to dinner? Like we're going somewhere nice and stuff. And I was in like basketball shorts and like, you know, like some scrubby t-shirt I'm sure. And I was like, I don't really think I'm dressed up. And Joe's like here. And he like throws me a pair of shorts and he's like, put those on. Like, you know, we're, we're going, we're going as a squad. And you wearing Joe's shorts
0: or were you wearing your own?
1: I wore Joe's shorts. Yeah. So, And then uh, my dumb ass, too, like, I'm eating food, and somehow I drop, like, a piece of meat on on myself. Falls on the shorts. There's, like, a big, like, little grease stain. I'm just like, oh, fuck. Like, (laughs) that, of course, would happen. So, but, dude, like, for a guy like that to take out, like, his junior team to, like, a sick dinner, a sick meal for winning a junior championship, like, this is just one of the coolest moves ever, and he's, he's – World class. Yeah, above and beyond, like, one think, of the I think guys. it's his
0: birthday today. No. State Wars made a post, and they said happy birthday to him on Facebook.
1: Well, I worked today, mm-hmm. so I didn't have a chance to look at that, so – I mean, I well, don't know. dude, if it is, then happy birthday, Joe Cook, man. Yeah, but, huge
0: happy birthday to Joe Cook. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, I'm not too sure, but – Think Was is. he uh,
1: 40 years young? <laughs> I,
0: I have no idea. It's probably, I think he's like only 23.
1: <laughs> yeah. Sounds yeah. like there's a good tidbit of a story of me in there too. So yeah, yeah, that, so that yeah, that should be a fun uh, fun listen for everybody that Joe Cook interview. But uh, yeah, we can kick it over to some uh, some roller in the show.
2: Yeah, so um, I wanted to start off with the not, oh, the not Rocco Grimaldi just signed. Two year, four million deal with the National Predators. So he's there for at least two more years. So shouts to him. That's pretty, pretty cool. Congratulations. What a
1: lockdown. That kid's a stud.
2: Yeah. And they just. How you stud?
1: It's crazy how long it's taken them to realize it. Dude, like he grinds it out on the fourth line and makes so many opportunities happen. And I think what he might be like on the third line now, but it's just like, dude, this kid is an absolute stud. Like world junior champion. Um, Frank and Jordan always remember going to California when they were way younger and playing against him when he had three wheels and he's playing up like two or three age divisions and being a factor. Yeah, yeah.
0: Shoulder pads and all.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they were struggling chrome, chrome cage. Hard, hard toaster
2: oven. I do remember yeah. that. Yeah, they were struggling Now they're in uh, the second wildcard spot as of right now. So
0: One guy I kind of want to talk about. He's a Palma Pro champion not a big deal, but he also plays in the AHL grand
2: rapid. Grand
0: Rapids, yeah. Grand Rapids, Griffins, um, Chris Terry. I mean, every single year in the AHL, this guy lights it up. You know, I, I don't know how he, he does get a sniff at the NHL level here and there, but eighth in the league in points in the AHL, 48 points, 19 goals, 29 assists. Um, the guy produces, you know, and he's, he's always producing for that team. I got
1: I got a good little story about Terry too, actually. Um, after freshman year at Lindenwood, uh, Narch was at, um, Narch was at San Jose and, uh, I was backing up Leggett for the Mudcats and I'm pretty sure we were in a playoff game. And, uh, before the game, you know, all the boys, like, I, I'll either grab the sticks and put the sticks up on the wall, you know, back, back at the, uh, what is it? rolling Ice? What was it called? Silver Creek Sports. Silver play? Creek
0: Sportsplex, yeah.
1: And, um, I'm putting the sticks up and Terry hands me his and he's like, hey, it's like, be ready. And he like hands this like stick in particular to me. And I was like, all right, like, kind of bizarre. Um, Dude, like, second period. No, this is the first period because they were shooting on our side. So, first period, the Muddies get a power play. We get a power play and he's on the left hand side and his stick breaks. And I see this happen. And I legit, like, turn and look at the wall and take, like, one step, see his stick that has his name on it, and uh, (laughs) grab it, turn back. Like, it was all in one step, all one motion. He, at that point, is, like, turning back up off the wall, like, to the bench. And it was, like, the most perfect exchange of me handing him the stick while he was out there still. And the boys on the bench just start tapping sticks, and they're like, "Oh, a boy twice." Yeah, was like one of the coolest things I've like ever like been a part of. Not even playing. Like it was just sick. It was so cool. But uh, he's getting a new line mate or a new teammate here, isn't he? Hey, oh, out in really Grand Rapids. Been little,
2: he's been out there for a little bit.
0: Are you talking about Spezia? Yeah, yeah, dude. He's been uh playing in the HL for a little bit.
2: Yeah, okay, he's at at 21 games this year, I think. Or, yeah, good
1: for him, dude. Good for speeds.
0: Yeah, no, he um, yeah, he was he was doing great in the ECHL, and now I'm pretty sure now he's been playing in the HL the last uh couple, I
2: mean, I want to say last maybe couple weeks, not a couple months.
0: Yeah yeah spezia yeah he's in the ahl now playing at the grand rapids griffins um you know watching him play uh you know roller i mean he's just <laughs> the dude's unbelievable with the puck and the way he skates you know one of the probably one of the best skaters oh my, he's um, dude I mean, it's, it's and watching him play ice too i mean he's just such a great skater you know he's he's he just wheels um but yeah and I, I, it's nice to see him get a sniff now in the AHL, and hopefully he can stay there and then just get to that pro roster because we know the Red Wings need it.
1: They could use Terry. Yeah. They could use Spezia. Give him a sniff, boys. They just lost uh, Anthony Accio, so, yeah, they, oh, that they guy's need some speed back on that wing.
0: Yeah, so, yeah, those two boys, I think, are the uh, same, and they're on the same team. That is, that's unreal. That's sick.
1: It just goes to show you like where hockey will bring you like, and it yeah. doesn't matter if you got blades or wheels on like these guys, Terry's a little bit older than speeds, but I mean like these guys have been consistently playing roller hockey for a big chunk of their lives. And, and they
0: actually both won national championships in roller hockey this summer.
1: Yeah. And so Arch-pro? now, now look, oh. they're, they're playing in the AHL together. Like they, now they have, you know, Spees goes up to that team and he's got a little familiarity with somebody, you know, like it, it just is an attribute to, you know, how special and unique our sport is within, within the hockey world and stuff. So good to, good to see those boys are getting some, some looks up, up at the AHL level.
0: Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Our boys, well, It's been about.
2: Yeah, I don't have anything else left on my agenda. You guys got anything going or
0: what? I got nothing more to say. It's been a while. We're here about an hour in. So I think, uh, you know, I think we're good here.
3: Cool. Cool. Thanks.
0: All right, boys. Well, hey, everybody, hope you enjoyed the pod. Hope you guys liked the interview with Joe Cook. Um, uh, hope you guys listen like listening to us about some good roller. I know this is a long pod, but thank you for the loyal ones that are still there, still listening. Um
1: every like every two weeks to drop like a two hour episode, I think is like perfect. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. You got you got an hour interview, you got an hour listening to the boys. So you got the best of both worlds.
3: What um, more could you
1: have? Yeah, how much more can you want? So that's just killing time and traffic too, man. Like, <laughs> ugh, I love, I love pods, I love podcasts. <laughs> They're
0: awesome. So yeah, thank you guys again. um Look forward to the next one, a week or two weeks. We'll have another one dropping. Nick Boyle will be on that one. And if you guys didn't hear, I will be at Winter Wars East Coast. So say what's up to your boy. You heard here. Hi, right, Kevin. Hi, right, Jordan. Late. <laughs>
3: love you, boys. Yeah